This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Podcast Bookers, podcastbookers.com. Podcasts are really hot, right? But you know what's also really hot? Appearing as a guest on one of the many, many podcasts out there. Think about it. Much easier than writing a guest blog post. You get some high-quality content. You get great backlinks. People want to share that content. Maybe you can even transcribe that content. Being a guest on podcasts, getting yourself booked on podcasts is a really, really great SEO tactic, great brand-building tactic. Podcast bookers can get you booked on two to three to four podcasts every single month on autopilot. Go check it out, podcastbookers.com. Welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz, and my guest today is Scott Hunsecker. He is the author of a book we're going to talk about today called Heroic Ownership, Build Your Team, Plan Your Exit, and Create Your Legacy. So, Scott, thanks for joining. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, let's start with what is heroic ownership? Let's define the term. Well, really what it is, is an answer to an observation I saw with entrepreneurs of small businesses. And that is 66% of companies close their doors when the current leadership team leaves. And so what I was seeking to was to explain the why and the how to make that number smaller. And what it takes is heroic ownership. It takes thought, it takes planning, um, and it takes responsibility. Because think about the number of lives that entrepreneurs touch. And it's a tremendous privilege, but also a tremendous responsibility. We live so much in the day of our businesses, I'm trying to suggest that we look a little further down the road. So you uh, have successfully exited a business. So you want to tell us about that experience? Sure. So I actually purchased uh, one of my father's businesses. It was an engineering firm. And my father was a very successful entrepreneur and businessman. Well, what I observed in his journey was is that he touched everything and controlled everything. And he's very good at it, much like a lot of entrepreneurs. They're extremely good at what they do. That's why they're successful. But he wasn't good at it. It's transferring that institutional knowledge and business savvy to the rest of the team. So when it came time for him to step out, there was really nobody prepared uh, to be able to continue that legacy. I was able to do that, but very early, I started trying to create a team and transferring that institutional knowledge and business savvy to the organization, so it wasn't dependent upon one person. You know, I had one of my friends describe it this way. How many business leaders do you know that have a horse and only one rider can ride? In other words, the owner or the founding owner. And so it's really about transferring that institutional knowledge and business savvy to the organization so it can live on for multiple generations and continue the legacy, take care of the employees, take care of the customers, and create a, a, a liquidity event for the present ownership so they can view it as a success as well. Now, you uh, have, since exiting your own business, you've started a company to teach people just how to do this. I have, but I kind of stumbled into it because my plan was actually to go lead a ninth company. I've had the privilege of leading eight companies. To go lead a ninth company and kind of do what I had done before, and that's find a company with a proven product, but maybe a 1950s management style and no succession plan, and do what I had done before, kind of flip the house, you might say, you know, the reality television show, but only with companies. 
But what happened was, is I started talking to some of my peers, and they were a little older than me. I was 49 when I sold my last company. And they said, Scott, you know, I'm 10 years older than you, and I haven't even started. How do I do it? And, uh, and that's what uh, caused me to create Arden, which is the company that uh, I've created to help turn your employees into owners, and was also the driver for writing the book of heroic ownership. And, um, and you know, build your team, plan your exit, and create your legacy is kind of the message there. So I'm going to go right with the, um, the middle part of it, because I think that's, got, that's a part that I think... Uh, th- not to suggest that's any more important than the other two parts, but the plan your exit is the one that's probably got a lot of heartburn for a lot of business owners because you know you talk about transferring to an executive team or a leadership team. There's a whole lot of, of businesses that don't even feel like they have that you know a leadership team or executive team, but they're gonna they're gonna close the doors on a shop one day and because they want to retire and and it's basically gonna be a pile of sand. So you know how how do you how do you fight that? When do you fight that? You know, when do you start trying to figure out how, your exit? Yeah, um, you know, a lot of a lot of owners want to start with the exit, and that's great, and I respect that. But the reality is, if you don't put the pieces in place, you don't have anything to implement for your strategy. You know, we can't predict the future, so I think we have to create as many paths as possible to go forward. So the strategy outline in the book is five steps. I'll hit them real briefly. One is authentic conversations. How are you going to teach the team to understand what it means to lead the organization? In other words, how are they going to anticipate what needs to happen? Two is how are you going to find the leaders? Instead of picking them, maybe let them become natural leaders and self-evident. Three is institutional knowledge. We store most of our business information in our head, and that's probably the worst place to store it. So how are we going to get it out of our heads into the organization? And then the fourth is uh, teaching them how to keep that information current because all that information comes with the born-on date. Now, after you've done those four steps, it's, it's only then that you can really talk about ownership because who in the right mind is going to sit down and have a conversation about ownership if they don't have the confidence and the wherewithal to push all their chips in and betting on your company that they're going to be successful in leading it. So you really need to have those previous steps before you can have the succession planning steps or else they're going to be in over their head and they're going to be very leery about um, entering into that dialogue with you because they're not going to be able to have a knowledgeable conversation with you. You're going to know a lot more than they know. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of companies sit back and watch the news headlines and, you know, XYZ company acquired by big corporate company and it's, you know, it's a big splash and uh, the founders make all kinds of money. But Really, we're talking about somebody who most companies, if they are sold, it's it's because they've groomed somebody <laughs> to buy that company. And I think that that is that's the, your first point of build your team. It, it, it's almost intentional to build their team with exit in mind, isn't it? Yes, I, I totally agree with you. But I also point out that we really can't predict what the future is going to be. Think about the number of people that were planning to exit their business in 2008 when the recession hit. And they're still trying to recover from it. What we have to do is create an umbrella of what a lot of different things can happen five, ten years from now. So we have the flexibility to be able to adapt and change to what's facing us that we don't even understand or anticipate today. But uh, we want to create the capacity to be able to make it successful. So another Missourian, 
um, is yeah. cited in your book, uh, Jack Stack, who I've been a longtime fan of. Um, and, and I think he was one of the first people to very publicly start uh, preaching this idea of owner mindset of teaching everybody the numbers and treating everybody as though they're an owner with the idea that, you know, even if you don't have a, a an ESOP set up or something that, that everybody is making decisions like an owner. And that's really a culture thing, isn't it? It is. And, you know, I would even say it's become more important with some of the generational challenges we're having as owners today and leaders today, because millennials today are looking for an environment where they can, they're constantly learning, learning. They're looking for a mentor or a coach. They want to have ownership in the deliverable and participate in that. You know, 20, 30 years ago, we just got the memo and we were just there to do merely what we're being told. Today's labor force won't tolerate that. They want to be engaged. They want to be interactive. They want to be a part of the conversation. And these these are just sound business principles that are becoming more and more important today to be successful. I think one of the hardest things for a lot of business owners, and I'm not saying this is right, but it's just human nature, is that you know they started this baby, they grow it, they can't ultimately yeah. trust anybody else to do it like them. So you know, how do you get past right. that trust and, and control issue? Well, that's where a lot of, uh, I guess, discipline becomes in. Because you're right. I see CEOs kind of think about that transition in two ways. The old style, and what's still a lot of it around, is here's my company. This is my baby. It's perfect. Now, here it is. Don't change a thing and don't screw it up. You know, and then, and then the model that I think is more viable is this one is here's my company. I've, this is the best I could make it. And I trust you to make it even better. And um, really the second one to me is the only one that is a sustainable model to be able to carry it on. Cause that first one will only last until something changes. And as soon as something changes, the wheels come off of it. And, uh, and then it doesn't work out for anybody. Yeah. And, and as cliche as it sounds, you, you get no buy-in in that kind of a, uh, of a, Situation. I mean, people are, you know, ultimately picking up a paycheck and not, they're not incentivized to make things better. And, and so consequently that it just sort of withers, I think, and, uh, and dies. One of the things you talk about, because you talk about this uh, authentic conversations and constantly getting input from employees, and you actually have a, a pretty good um, explanation of, of employee surveys. How, how do you do that in a way? And again, it, it probably is a cultural thing, but you know, how do you do okay. that kind of get that kind of feedback in a way where you you get real, authentic, valuable information? Well, let's talk a little bit about what the purpose is. You know, the purpose of this conversation is to understand what's going on in our organizations. And I, I use the example of a beach ball. If I'm holding a beach ball up in front of the leadership team, we all see it from a different perspective. It's not important that we agree on what color we're seeing. It's important that we understand how we each see it. So there's a lot of business tools out there that are going to allow us to have authentic conversations about how we view the issues inside the company. One is the corporate dashboard you talked about, Jack Stack. One's an employee survey. Um, I was a big fan of the Baldridge survey. It was a way of using a statistically valid model to kind of ask questions. To make it valid and to get buy-in, I think it's really important that you share the results with the team. We actually shared a number of years of results, and we could identify what we're good at and what, what we needed to work on. We also looked at customer surveys. So the employee survey is looking inside out. The customer survey is looking outside in. 
And you know what's really interesting? One of the things we also did is when we were interviewing a new candidate, we shared our dashboard. We shared our employees and our customer surveys, and it allowed us to stand out instead of blend in from all the other companies that they were considering. So this isn't just good stuff for inside our company. This is good stuff to attract the best of the best in the industry. One of the things that I have seen in some organizations that, you know, the leadership gets very gung-ho about, you know, this idea of owner mindset and, you know, building leaders and, you know, everybody's, uh, you know, got a voice. And ultimately, they're, I don't know what percent, let's say 10% of the folks are like, I don't really want that. <laughs> you know, I, I want to come. I like I like doing my job. I like being able to interact with the, the data or whatever it is that I do. But I don't really want to go to the company leadership meeting and give my input. Um, how do you deal with, with that if that exists? Are you sharing that the individual doesn't want to share? Yeah, or the leadership well, doesn't not, want not to so hear? much share. It just doesn't want the responsibility. I mean, they want to be told what to do. They want to do their job. They like, you know, I think you use an example in the book of an engineer um, in, in your one of your organizations that didn't really want to be part of the leadership team. They just wanted to do their job. And, you know, I find that, too. And, and I'm less um, I struggle less with how to get that person in the old quote, the right seat on the bus type of a thing. To me, I find it much more challenging. How do you identify those that have the will and the ability to lead and then nurture them, grow them, and help develop them to achieve their potential? That person that's just going to be, you know, that steady Eddie that always gets the job done. In my world, I've been pretty successful in just seeing them go on autopilot because they're going to get in their groove and they're just going to do their thing. But what I'm really looking for is I'm mining for gold. You know, think of it this way. What does a coach on a professional uh, sports team do? Does he spend most of his time uh, with the B and C players, or does he spend most of his time with his A players? I would submit he spends most of his time with his A players, try to figure out what they're doing right, and then share that with the B and C players. And I think CEOs can learn a lot from professional uh, sports teams about how they're led. You have um, participated in a family business. Um, you talk about yeah. your father and his businesses and your relationship in those businesses. There are a lot of family businesses out there. Does that add a does that add a whole nother dimension that has to be figured out and managed? Well, I think family businesses have some unique components to it. And one of the rules of thumb that I start with in family businesses is something called, I I call the Thanksgiving test. You know, in my world, I think it's more important that we keep the family unit speaking, that we're allowed, we can sit down for Thanksgiving dinner together without having tremendous upheaval. So I think as we start these conversations, you know, we want to keep in mind that we don't do anything to upset the family dynamic. At least that's my value set. Not everybody's is like that. But let's focus on what's most important and understand what that definition of success looks like and go down it, go down that path. And, and in my journeys, what I have found is the most open and honest and transparent you are, the easier it is to get through it. And this one may be a little awkward. But it's much better to have these conversations when the founder is still able to participate. Because when the founder is no longer able to participate, everybody kind of has their own agenda. But when the founder's there, he's able to share his or her perspective about, um, you know, what they would like to see in the business and what they would like to see for the family. 
so it's not just uh, the survival of the fittest and working it out the other way. So the final point in the book or the, the section in the book really is, is this idea of creating a legacy. And I'm wondering if, and I'm probably projecting a little, my own uh, business I've, I've owned almost 30 years, and I'm not sure I thought about legacy. I thought about what I like doing. I thought about the purpose of, of the business. Uh, but as I am uh, now in my mid-50s, I'm starting to think, huh, what is the legacy <laughs> that I would like to leave? Is that, is that a kind of a typical evolution in your experience? Well, again, I think it's a purposeful one. One, I, one, I'll give you two quick examples. One is that, you know, I think we all are very keen and focused on creating a mission and value statement for our companies. But I would strongly encourage your listeners to think about what is their per- personal mission and value statements for them as individuals. When they look back on their career as leaders, will they be proud of what they've accomplished? My guess is they've probably done a great job at accomplishing their strategic plan and mission and goals of the company. But is that as reflective of who they are and what they are going to be proud of when they look back on their career? I have a dear friend that I shared this book with and some other things, and he was in the venture capital space and and those types of things. And uh, at the end of one of our conversations, he goes, you know, Scott, I've probably had an intimate role with 30, 40 businesses but I'm not sure I've ever created a legacy. And that may or may not be okay. You just have to decide for you as a business leader and somebody that touches a number of lives, what's your definition of success? What's going to make you proud when you look back on your leadership tenure um, that uh, you felt you did good work? Yeah, and I think a lot of business owners, um, again, I may be projecting a little bit here, we're so focused on that kind of moving horizon that keeps moving farther away as we move to it because we, we, we have bigger and bigger goals. And I think sometimes we forget to turn around and look how far we've come. Yeah, I also think we, entrepreneurs think they're indestructible and they'll last forever too. So we don't often get around to having these kind of conversations with ourselves and our peers. But it's critically important. It impacts not only us, but it impacts our families and all those that work for us and all their families. So it's a tremendous privilege and it's a tremendous responsibility. Scott, where can people find out more about uh, you and your work at Ardent as well as uh, pick up a copy of Heroic Ownership? Well, Heroic Ownership is available on Amazon. It's also on Kindle and I'm working on an audiobooks version. Uh, my website is ardentgroup.com. And uh, they can learn all about me there, as well as opportunities to participate in their groups or speaking at events or those types of things also. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, you're just across the state in Missouri, so maybe I'll run into you out there on the road someday. Fantastic, John. Thank you so much for having me.